This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Because it, it strikes me, now I'm, I'm a novice, um, but it strikes me in thinking about this that, um, and again, and the backdrop of cultural engagement is, is that we get a lot of stories that are told to us in the culture. And now, now I'm talking about written by anybody. I'm not necessarily mm-hmm. talking about written by a Christian. And the moral premise in the story is some form of declaration of independence, if I can say it that mm-hmm. way, uh, some form of affirmation of, of particular human practice or human condition or whatever that 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 uh, almost screams I'm free um, and with a lack of accountability and a lack of uh, of groundedness in some cases uh, again to create this view of a world that is both a reflection of the way many people will live but also in some cases to create space mm-hmm. so that people can live in places where they might not go otherwise it seems to me that that's often the message that we're getting so that the challenge – I am wrapping this into a big question – but the challenge on the other end is to write as creatively, if I can use that word, and as effectively about a different kind of story with different kinds of moral premises. Yeah. I think that, that, that that's our challenge is to find out – is to develop a – what we try to do here in the program, to develop a, a, a theological and biblical grid that allows you to not only not only interpret the data that's coming to you, but interpret the data that's coming out of you, mm-hmm. so that you're saying you get an idea and you say, okay, now is that I'm going to do a biblical theology on this? Is this consistent with the biblical witness? Is it something that I really want to put out there, or am I creating as the world does in its constant, you know, striving and kicking against the goads? Mm-hmm. Uh, is is there is there something in this that is that that is not only true but aesthetically pleasing that is going to help influence my culture for the cause of Christ. And you can't – you as a believer, you have an infinitely deep well of creativity available to you through the person of the Holy Spirit and, mm-hmm. and the Lord Jesus and the Father all inhabiting so that what comes out has the potential to accurately reflect the big T truth. Mm-hmm. But what it – but if we don't have this a biblical and theological understanding informing our production, mm-hmm. then we are we're we're at loose ends. We're not sure how to compose all of this information, all of this wellspring of creativity. We're not sure how to package it, if I can use mm-hmm. a secular term, in a way that is going to be both aesthetically pleasing, so that you make money at the box office mm-hmm. because you do need to make a living mm-hmm. doing this, uh, and doesn't preach in the bad sense doesn't doesn't take a soapbox stand up on it and scream at the society but but gets the message across in a way that be, that is attractive and at the same time doesn't compromise our position uh, you've said thing i've got about three different questions i'm not sure which one to ask first so i'm going to try and put one of them in a in a cash back here okay. to go back to because uh, i do want to go there but th- i want to ask you this um, 
when Christian writers write, you use the phrase soapbox. There is a sense in which uh, when you engage, uh, I'm going to use this model. The, the challenge of the gospel is to offer an invitation in the midst of a challenge that says you can't fix yourself. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of offering that invitation, in the midst of that challenge, you're trying to get the person who doesn't have Christian roots necessarily, a Christian background, you're trying to get them to reflect on both how they live and how they can connect to a transcendent. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that said that very abstractly, but my point is is that there's a, there's a tension there. And the, the, the tension in doing that is if you're on a soapbox, you just tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you what to do. It's not a conversation. That's right. It's not a conversation. But what you're saying is, is the arts, in many cases, to be effective at getting to reflection, genuine reflection that reaches down and gets your gut, uh, has to has to um, has to put it in such a way that it's. I'm going to say it this way: that it's subtle, that it that it that it, it leads you into reflection, into pause, as opposed to kind of slapping you in the face. And is that is, is that a fair metaphor to be working yeah, with? Yeah, I think so. I think it has to come out of reflection as well. That uh, When Betty Edwards was writing her book, uh, Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain, she and she wrote a, a companion volume to it, uh, Drawing on the Artist Within. Uh, both of them excellent books, and I, I get, try to get my students in my writing course to, ta- to read those books that are art books, because her technique is exactly what we're teaching here in, um, in surveying Uh, different creativity approaches and creative problem-solving approaches, she said, in Western culture, the number one missing ingredient, whether it was a three-step program, a five-step program, ten-step program, didn't matter. The one missing ingredient was time for reflection, was time for meditation in the composition of the art, whatever venue it was in and Mm -hmm. whatever form it took. So what what we need to do, if we want people to reflect on our work, is it needs to be born out of reflection. It needs to be it needs to be born out of a careful consideration of all of the elements, how they go together, what we're saying, how we're saying it, how we package it, and then to pace it in a way that allows for reflection in situ, that is, in in the place where they encounter the art, mm-hmm. but also after, after they encounter the art. So it has an art. impact. It has a lasting impact. Yeah, exactly. It, it, uh, it, the great art – like if you go to see a Matisse or you, you go to see a, a Gauguin or, or a, another another great painting artist, you go to see Mako Fujimura, you you enter the exhibit space and you 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 encounter it for the first time. You see water lilies for the first time, Monet's water lilies for the first time, the big one, mm-hmm. the, the huge one in mm-hmm. New York. And you say Oh, this this is incredible. This is great. And you stand there. Uh, most people stand in front of an average painting at the DMA at the Dallas Museum of Art for six seconds, mm-hmm. and then they move on. Mm-hmm. It's that's not me a reflective time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's me. How much I got to get through this exhibit? <laughs> well, they. But the thing is that the great ones invite a return visit or a picture or a picture. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And you want to own this in That's some right. kind of digital format or something that I can reproduce and put up in, exactly. over my couch yeah. so that I can look at it and reflect on it and appreciate different things about it along the way. There, my son Nick and I were in New York when he was little, really little, prior to reading age. Mm-hmm. We went down into the subway. We were on our way to the Met, to the Metropolitan, Metropolitan Museum of Art. And uh, for some reason, mom wasn't there. Uh, Lauren was doing something else with the other kids. 
It was just Nick and Dad. And we went down into the subway, and if you've been in the New York subways, which I know you have, yeah. <laughs> and you sometimes see things spray-painted on the walls that are not very nice. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a really bad thing spray-painted on the wall, but it was spray-painted in neon orange and green. And Nick went over to it, and he said, Dad. And I thought, oh, but mm-hmm. he couldn't read. Mm-hmm. He said, look at the pretty colors. Isn't it beautiful? And I said, yeah, Nick, that's pretty. Let's go get on the train, and we'll go look at some more pretty colors. So we got on the train, went over to the Met, got out, went in, and it was a, uh, it was a, a Monet exhibit. And we were, we were going in, and he was looking at a, one of the small versions of water lilies. Mm-hmm. And he, you know what he said? He said, Dad, look at the pretty colors. At that age, he didn't have the ability to distinguish or to discern, but I said, Nick, yes, pretty colors, but look, there are other things to appreciate about it. There's design, and there's order, and there's composition. I didn't use the word composition, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I wanted to invite him to appreciate, yeah, Yeah. go beyond the colors, and and just see how how deeper and more three-dimensional this image was, even though it was presented in a two-dimensional space, that what he had seen down in the subway. You know, uh, and I don't want to turn this into an art appreciation podcast, but, you know, it strikes me, things like the Mona Lisa, most people walk up to the Mona Lisa when they see it for the first time and they go, I had no idea it was that small. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they think because of its reputation and what they've heard about it and the pictures they've seen, this must be a big painting. Yeah. And they walk yeah. in, and of course what grabs you about the Mona Lisa is, is, is are the eyes. And, uh, and and most great paintings that are portraits, there's something going on with the eyes or there's something going on with the way in which the person is presented that draws you. And you go, I'm not just looking at a face. There's almost, there's almost a soul that yes. I'm seeing as yes. I look at this that, that, uh, that causes you to pause to the point where, of course, what they ask about the Mona Lisa, everyone asks, well, what is she thinking about? Which I always think mm. is a strange question to ask mm. of a painting. Mm. You know, <laughs> how does paint think? You know? I know, but is isn't yeah. it interesting that it engenders that? Yeah, exactly. That it invites that kind of reflection because the, it's the enigmatic smile. It's, it's what's going on in the eyes. What is she? It makes you ask the question. It invites you to participate. Join us next week for part four of the Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.